Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. Welcome to episode 220 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and joining me is my favorite silver girl. She'd never tell me a lie, la lie. <laughs> it's Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. So long, Blankenship. So it begins. <laughs> um, so... Blankenships may come and Blankenships may go. <laughs> but they always change your point of view, in my experience. All right, enough, uh, enough inside jokes. As uh, you know, if you've been around a while, this is an episode ending in zero, which means we're ranking an entire album, Bridge Over Troubled Water, the last album by Simon and Garfunkel, which came out in 1970, uh, the rare album. Gosh, 51. It's over 51 yeah, years old. it's older than me. That's old, people. Um, this episode may be two hours and 20 minutes long. We're not sure. We have a lot to say. <laughs> we have even more to feel. There are auxiliary materials. I think there's a PowerPoint, at least one. <laughs> so if you're... Uh, I mean, it is true that Sarah and I, I will just say, listeners, Sarah and I had a, pre, a pre-recording a pre call to talk about how we want to approach this because we really do have auxiliary materials. We, we really there do. Are th- we, we decided we're just going to lean all the way into our nerdiness yeah. here. Um, so... Uh, Before we begin our journey together, let me uh, refresh uh, listeners new and old on how our ranking episodes work. We are listening, going through the album in order. Occasionally there will be clips. And uh, we're ranking each song and assigning it a point value according to the ranking. So there are 11 tracks on this album. The number one song for me will then get 11 points. The second place song will get 10 points and so on down the list. I contribute points, Mark contributes points with his rankings, and our Patreon supporters also contributed rankings with their voting. If you would like to join them for future ranking episodes, we would love it. Patreon.com slash Mastass. At the end, we'll add up all the numbers and figure out who's the bridge and who's the troubled water. This was (laughs) absolutely wrenching for me to have to do this really was like a handful of songs that might be my number one songs of life and then some stuff that i don't mind and then one that i kind of want to drop into a volcano (laughs) so i I think we're going to find out a lot of things but this i feel like this album has been in reserve as a ranker for a really long time i think when we started ranking episodes i put this on the to-do list like four years ago but i mean it is fraught but not necessarily in a bad way Oh my God, no. I think almost we had to just build up our muscles before we were ready to talk I mean, about this album. That's why it took so really. long. Like the, there's going to be like dramatic readings. Okay, we should really just get into it unless you have some uh, preparatory remarks. I do. Okay. So for Please. those of us who were not alive in 1970, which is both of us, 
This al- it is hard to overstate the impact that this album had upon release. It was number one for many weeks. It's gone eight times platinum. It won the Grammy for Album of the Year. The title song, Bridge Over Troubled Water, won the Grammy for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Bridge Over Troubled Water, the song, went to number one. There were three other songs on this album that reached the top 20, which at the time for one album to have four top 10 hits was kind of a big deal. It didn't happen all that much back then because albums were released in much quicker succession and therefore had fewer singles spun off of them. Um, The album has generated a handful of songs that have been covered roughly three billion times. So these songs (laughs) really have become such a deep part of the cultural memory that there is a quality i think to almost this entire album that it it exists in sort of an or way and i've really enjoyed being forced to remember that at one time it was just an album that came out and the last thing i would like to say sarah and this is sort of a thesis statement for me so i welcome your thoughts on this because it was known to both simon edgar and garfunkel that garfunkel was pretty much out the door to go chase a film career Mm-hmm. and possibly a solo career. I feel that this album can be read. Oh, see, here come the emotions right away. I feel like for me, large parts of this album can be read as the end of a love story, but the mm-hmm. love story is between two friends. And mm-hmm. there is no acrimony, but there is a wistful sadness because you cannot keep your life exactly as it is at all times. And so one of the reasons that this album keeps getting me moved and emotional is because so much of it is about paul simon who wrote all but one song on this album saying goodbye to someone that he'll never stop loving but that he knows has to move on in a different direction and it's so rare to have any major popular song talk about the poignant end of a friendship let alone to have an album with many such songs and because friendship love is its own very specific type of love and because i certainly have had experiences with friends with whom i've had no falling out that nothing is wrong it's just that life changes and therefore we don't talk to each other anymore this album makes me feel comprehended in a way that i'm not used to and that is one of the reasons i cherish it and get so deeply moved by so many elements of it i think it's also an interesting time to be contemplating this album and sort of the uh, the things that it says about loneliness and grief and um the the valedictory feeling of it because the because of the times that we're living in and the fact that you know we're all the only living boy in New York right now um, yeah and so many so many people have been taken from all of us by this pandemic um and and that sense of being taken sometimes it's people have died and sometimes it's just that people have been taken from us because culturally we're not allowed to see each other right now that's a taking as well there's yeah there's the physical estrangement but there's also that you know there are people in my life whose hugs i would have looked forward to but they're they're no longer on this side of the veil. So, you know, every time I hear The Only Living Boy in New York, I have um, that song acts like a grief valve to like let off uh, one of the grieves. It's a different one every time. Mm. And that's what I was thinking of 
this time was that, you know, a friend of mine who passed actually a couple of years ago before all of this waves hands, but whose hug would have been the most satisfying. Like, she, I mean, she was great at it. She did it well. She did what she loved. And uh, I am resentful that you can't keep everybody that you love with you all the time. So this has extra resonance, I would say, but it's really a testament to this album that I think you can apply this to kind of any time and any um, troubled waters that you're mm-hmm. looking at sort of individually or culturally. Oh, okay. So with that, that leads us to track one, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Why not just dive right in to... I mean, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> so... Bridge Over Troubled Water is a song that I have known for always. Uh, And let me just give you, if I may, one example of how this song makes me feel. I was coming home, this is several years ago now, from a party in Park Slope, Brooklyn. I was walking home. I lived on the southern part of Park Slope. The party was in the northern part. I was carrying a bag that contained a wrapped up to-go piece of the carrot cake my friend Rosie had made. I had felt so great at that party that I was listening to Bridge Over Troubled Water, as I do many times, and just thinking about friendship and the generosity of looking at someone and saying to them, I will be present for you. It's so beautiful. And again, there's just a kindness there that I think is... um, under underrepresented in uh, much of our cultural narrative. So I was feeling very emotional about that, just getting my entire life full of feelings, holding my iPod in my hand, because it was around 2009, and a group of young toughs came up and tried to steal my iPod from me. And I held onto my iPod, even as they punched me in the front and back of my head, And then I ran with a bleeding lip into the CVS and got away from them, managing to keep both the carrot cake and my iPod and my phone. And all of that has done nothing to diminish my emotional relationship to Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like, it could be the soundtrack to a mugging, but it's not for me, even though that is actually technically what it was for me once. Because to me, this song is... It is not only to me the best song on this album... Clearly, it's my number one by saying that. It is one of the best songs of all time. Um, we And I know that there are people, because I've been reading the comments from the patrons, who cannot hear this song anymore because it's so played out, because every school choir sings it, because everybody always sings it. But for me, this song is so strong that it can transcend every shitty charity cover. It can transcend every school recital at which it has been sung. And uh, part of that has to do with what I feel is the exquisite purity of Art Garfunkel's delivery. So without further ado, I'm going to momentarily end this monologue and say, let's hear a clip. All right, here we go.
Mm, Sarah, I actually have so much more to say, but I'm going to shut up for a second and ask you, what are your first of thousands of thoughts, I'm sure, on this particular song? Um, I was shocked that this, it started out sort of as my number one and then it drifted down a bit. Um, like I said, this is really a battle between all-time greats. And uh, it's funny that you clipped this quiet part because if I had been clipping this song I would have clipped the absolute like bare knuckle brawl at the end between Art Garfunkel's voice and the strings that just burns down the entire culture and leaves everyone's heart a happy cinder um there are a lot of things you can accuse Art Garfunkel of, including possibly being deluded about his acting career, but that he that he held anything back ever, not something you could say. There's there's just something, you know, there is a gospel influence here that is overt, and they talk about it. Um, but this is both extremely melodramatic and also i think extremely knowledgeable about what melodrama in this in these styles of music is for there is like a respect for emotional ritual here that um it's like a you know the descant of a hymn like that's that's for something it has a purpose so i can never be too um I can never clock it too hard for being melodramatic. And uh, look, I quoted the shit at the top of my yearbook page, which I got permission to format myself so that I could do this. And it's like the one of the only things on my yearbook page that I'm not mortified by now. So th- yeah, there you go. But like to this day, like the harmony comes in, these like drum crashes, like I'm... St- I'm sailing right behind. I still get like a oh, little God. chill. I mean, and like, I believe him. Like, is is this guy a, a lot? Like, Art Garfunkel's really extra, let's face it. But I mean, I, I love him. And I think what I especially love about the two of them together is that uh, the the what the effect of one is not nearly as great without the other one right that you have this soaring uh sweetness of garfunkel and this salty closer to the earthness of paul simon and um i wrote about this i wrote about this in one of my um pieces about 911 on com, and i wrote about American tune, which is a Paul Simon song. And the original is like, it's fine. It's lovely. But the version that they sing on the Central Park concert album really is such a wonderful story of the two of them Mm. being alone together and working together and uh, singing it to each other also to an extent that they're just talking about, you know, times have been hard, but there's reason to hope. I don't know. I like the the pairing of them. I think is uh, this realistic hopefulness sort of made manifest. Mm. Oh, and yes. after all I, of that, it's exactly my number right. three, which I feel like is a betrayal of something. But look, 
<laughs> it's a long album and I feel all the ways about everything. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, being third on this album is still being first on almost any other album. Yeah. I mean, uh, so that's first place from me, 11 points, third place from you, nine points. And mm-hmm. the patrons put it in fourth place, which I, I honestly was just shocked by, but I think it might have something to do with the fatigue. And so that's eight points for them. Well, yeah. I uh, mean, if your high school chorale director was willing to step to this song, which mine was not, thank God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I could see that you're like, mm, nah. But before we move on to track two, I do want to go back to the reason that I clipped the section that I clipped, because I also think that for me, his restraint in these in this part of the vocal is one of the reasons I believe the I be, believe the wistfulness so mm-hmm. much in what the song is doing. When he says that I will dry them all, oh, and he adds that little I will dry them all, yeah, that that, that little lift. I've always felt that in my very soul. Like he's, I. It has always sounded to me like someone being overwhelmed by the thing that they're trying to say and losing it for a second and then getting it right back on course. And right. I, I don't have any rational reason for feeling that way, but that's just how this song speaks to me. And even at the end, when, like you said, that that fight between the voice and the strings leaves us all um, burned alive with powerful yeah. feeling. <laughs> the, the strings are like, nope, here we go. And he's like, no, <laughs> you're not taking but, this alive. Nope. But even there, when he's singing that, high note of you know the one like a bridge Uh, yeah it's so pure he doesn't ornament it at all and for whatever reason the simplicity of that makes me believe it and also the fact that famously there wasn't a third verse about the silver girl on this song until art garfunkel asked there to be one so he was correct the song is better because of the third verse but it um so it's something about those first two verses, Paul Simon speaking so simply about his um, love for, I believe, Art Garfunkel, then crescendoing into this third act uh, powerful thing. It's so simple and beautiful. And that brings me to auxiliary material number one, Sarah, because among the many people who have covered the song, one of them was Aretha Franklin, who shortly after Simon and Garfunkel had their hit, reached number six on the pop charts and number one on the R&B charts with her own version of the song. So here is the exact same section of Bridge Over Troubled Water, a Bridge Over Troubled Water, as performed by Aretha Franklin. Sarah, I know that we've talked um, 
quite a few times on the show about Aretha Franklin, and I'm curious how you feel about her cover of this song. Um, I feel like it's a completely different song in her hands. And what's interesting is, like, you, you don't always hear Aretha's decisions as they're happening, but you can hear them here, I think. And they're all correct. Like, even though I prefer the original, this almost is operating on a different frequency to mm. me. Like, and initially, especially if you've just heard the the original, it can take a minute to adjust that it's like, okay, the organ or the backup singers, like, you need to take one thing off. That's not what this song is doing. But then it's like, no, this song, this song will do whatever you need it to do. That's how mm. good a fucking song it is. And also, that's how good Aretha is at like sort of holding up the fabric of it and being like, but what if a skirt? <laughs> and you're this like, was but pants, it was overall. What if I made it a skirt? Okay. Oh, that's cute. Like, I, I mean, I I like listening to her coming to, and I don't know the recording process for her version that we just heard. And like which take we're hearing or any of that. And uh, Aretha was, you know, not a dumb artist and uh, I think was able to project a certain amount of um, process, even if it had already been processed, if that makes any sense. But I like hearing her come up to each line and be like, how am I going to like, which route am I going to take? How about this one? And I think that's really cool. And again, a testament to the song. Well, I obviously um, have a, I love Aretha Franklin. I'm a human being. And for instance, her cover of Natural Woman, no disrespect to the glorious Carol King, is superior to the original. Mm, I um, don't agree, but that's what makes this marriage work. Yes. You disagree. Interesting. Well, um, and I also feel her cover of Respect is better than Otis Redding's. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> All of that being said, for me, I think that Aretha Franklin's cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water is a disaster. It is an F minus. Really? I yes, Sarah. I hate the it. The maximalist so much. stuns a nation. <laughs> I know. As a maximalist, you would think I would be into it, but I think that this is an example of Aretha Franklin deciding that the story of the song is less important than her vocal pyrotechnics, mm. and she destroys the song. I, I, I actually, this is one of my least favorite covers of all time, and I remember huh. still to this day being furious that when Clay Aiken covered this song on um, American Idol, he chose the Aretha Franklin arrangement. Oh, I just think that well, for whatever. me, the simple beauty of the song is it just destroyed by what happens here, and. Um, it's gonna if if this were I think the, that's the a legit that interpretation we that it's oh, say just what? I think that's a completely legit interpretation. It's just fascinating to me that you yeah. and I stood at this crossroads and you were you took the nope road. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, but if you I mean, look if, at her artistic process and you're like, get out. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I, I, I know. Mean, never. I'm wearing moment. the Phantom sweater today. <laughs> Phantom. Is that you? Nope. Nope. <laughs> but wow. the reason that I wanted to bring this clip in is that for me, it does uh, demonstrate, like you said, how malleable the song can be. And it reinforces the simplicity of what I like about the original. Again, that's first place for me, 11 points. Fourth place from the patrons, 8 points. 
Third place from you, nine points. A total of 28 points, not shabby at all. Um, So that, I think, takes us to track two, yes? It does. Um, We don't have a clip for this. Uh, I don't, this is the problem with this album. Like, I don't dislike El Condor Pasa slash, if I could. Uh, I would like to note that as a young child, this was one of the first albums that I was allowed to put on the turntable by myself. I was four. It was the 70s. Shut up. Um, So there's a lot of like sense memory um, with this album. And I can sing like all the parts of this song, including like the flute and all this stuff. It is good as a little bagatelle after the intensity of Bridge Over Troubled Water. It was smart of them to put it here. Uh, it has the feel of an ancient folktale, which I think is the, I think is the idea, and I think that's it successful. is based on a on a Peruvian song. Um, yeah, and there so. was apparently a little bit of a flapdoodle about the rights to said Peruvian song. Anyway, um, I like it fine, and at the same time, I would not mourn its subtraction from the earth. But I will say um, that all of these uh, I'd rather be a forest than a street, like dyads that he poses. Um, I spent a lot of time as a small child considering these as though they were real choices that I would be asked to make (laughs) as an adult. (laughs) That makes that track. Upon achieving the age of majority, it would be like, all right, Buncey, forest or street. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, can't the street go through the forest? I I hate picking. No, you must choose. Yeah. Um, He gives the world its saddest sound is a beautiful line. Like, there's nothing really wrong with the song, but you got to do better than that. (laughs) On Bridge Over Troubled Water. So while this is going to, you know, sound terrible that it's 10th, it's 10th. Sorry, buddy. You know... You've said two things that speak to my very soul in terms of my response to El Condor Pasa, parentheses, if I could. I would like to note that this is the fourth single from the album. It reached number 18. Okay. And it really strikes me as a very unusual choice for a single, but here we yeah, are. Yeah, well, it was a strange time. Um, I am not surprised that you have memories of this song relating to your time as a small child, because to me, this is the equivalent of a mommy and me sing-along class where all of the kids are given spit-slicked blocks on which they can slap their dirty hands as they learn the basics of music and lyrics. I find this song infantile. I find the arrangement of this song to be almost shockingly boring. I think the simple umpapa sound of the drums is the sound of my nerves being stomped upon. I find <laughs> the kindergarten level lyrics to be vomit inducing. I would rather be on a street that takes me away from this forest forever. And when you said there's nothing really wrong with this song, I cannot say I agree. I think the things wrong with this song are everything. As an adult, I feel it is an insult to my progress through life that I should ever have to be sucked back into this infantile place. That said, number six. Just kidding. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's number three. No, this song, I wish that I could give it 18th out of 11. No, it is 11th place, one point for me. In fact, even in the process of listening to this album, I would force myself to listen to this song with white knuckles upon my own knees, doing my best not to scream into the void that this song pushes me into. 11th place, one point for me. I, okay, well, I, (laughs) I can hear your knuckles creaking right now. (laughs) That is, yeah, I sort of in my notes was like, either Mark is going to like this much better than I do, or he is going to try to actually buy every copy of it and send them to the sun i I, yeah didn't think it was going to be the second thing really but okay here we are i just read a novel about uh this uh author whose all of his books are being bought and burned and i feel like you just described what i would like to do with this song yes (laughs) cut to the light of a full moon mark stacking cds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, sh- shall we move on to what I hope is a happier prospect for us both? Yes, but first let me say that the patrons liked this song a whole lot more than you and I. And Sarah, they oh, put no. it in fifth place. Huh. Yeah. I feel like maybe there's going to be a rumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we do have some patrons who were like tweeting us to say that they, not just patrons, listeners. We have some listeners who were tweeting us to say they're already like trying to do deep breathing in case we don't like some of the songs that they like. So if this was okay. one of the ones, y'all, take a breath. Okay. Well, we we can only be who we are. <laughs> all right. But so yes, as you said, place, that brings us to track patrons. three. Yes, it does. Um. All right. I was on the third listen before I could even sit down. Much mm-hmm. less take a cogent note. There are a lot of problems with this song, but I don't necessarily give a shit about any of them. <laughs> this was my favorite song from birth to, I'm going to say, age eight. Uh, and I we're talking about it. Um, like Cecilia, the, we should yeah, say. I am t- like, I love it like a family member. There are, I mean, there are problems with it. We'll get into them. There are also glories within it. Let's hear a clip. Um, yeah, I had to mute myself to chair dance there because this is an old chair and it it squeaks a lot. Um, this is not an appropriate song for a little child to like. The tone (laughs) is, uh, way off for what the lyrical content is like, um, yay, let's have an Afrobeat dance party about the fact that my, uh, beloved is a big hoe who did not even wait for me to get off the shitter before she got someone else in her bed. 
um, it appropriates cultural sounds um, and lingo. And I laughing is not is not really okay. But it is the um, original banger of my childhood. The opening syncopation is amazing. The harmonies are amazing. This drum line is amazing. It's in and out in uh, three minutes. It just has such confidence in what it's saying musically. I mean, it's it's not as good as how much I like it. I acknowledge that, but I really like it. And it had to fight to stay at the top, but it did. Number two, 10 points. Yes. And uh, here's another you- challenge of ranking this album is that there are songs that are like, they're good for very different reasons sometimes. So like putting Cecilia up against Bridge Over Troubled Water is like, <laughs> this is like comparing sex and ice water. Like <laughs> They're both <laughs> wonderful and necessary, but you can't compare them because they're sex and ice water. Anyway, uh, this is the sex one, number two. Uh, so I... I was so interested to learn that this song contains a lot of um, uh, sort of studio manipulation uh, to to create some of the sounds. Because to me, one of the things that I have always loved about this song is it sounds like it's just being made by whatever was handy. Yeah. Like, like it, it, it has this feeling of what if some geniuses just went into a Staples and this was the result. Yes. yeah, like, like street drummers well, using a pail. That's what it sounds like to me. Or that's what that yeah. always sounds like to me is it sounds like this. So, yeah, I, I gotcha. Yeah, like I turned a garbage can upside down. He grabbed a stapler and was hitting the side of a plastic jug. Like I just and that sort of human quality to the song, the feeling that it is made by people makes mm-hmm. me love it even more because it just makes me feel like I'm at the jam session with them every time uh-huh. I hear it. And I don't, I will never in my life get tired of the part where in the chorus they do, they go up a little bit on, Oh, Cecilia, that little harmony part right there. Yeah. I can never not sing aloud, sing along out loud. So God forbid I should ever hear this song at a funeral because I would <laughs> be singing it out loud. <laughs> um, in the event that it's played at my funeral, you have my permission. Um, I right. also love that you. pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Like it, it does feel very um, found. Yes. So yeah, I, I was surprised to learn too that it was like, um, you know, someone very carefully recorded someone shaking a bag of rice and then put the track <laughs> on. Like it worked, whatever it was. Yeah, because it has that. It creates the illusion of a spontaneous song that they wrote it as they went. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I hear all of the things you're saying about the reasons that the song might be considered perhaps problematic. But like you, I D G A F. I am ready to hear Cecilia at any time. Now, I wanted you to know that as part of my research, I texted my friend Cecilia Ticketon, and I said, "Hey, Cecilia, I'm we're ranking this album, and I'm just wondering how many times in your life has someone sung this song at you?" And she said, at you is exactly the right phrase. 
I've been haunted by this song for my whole oh, life. And wow. she said, the best part is that everyone thinks that I've maybe never heard this song before, and they're excited to tell me about it. <laughs> oh, I mean, at least nobody is under the illusion that I haven't heard Sarah by Starship. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, but this song also, um, this song was a huge hit as well. It reached number four on the Hot 100. It is uh, real fucking good. It is my number three. At nine uh-huh. points, it is the patrons number two at ten points. It is yeah. your number two at ten points. And again, like you were saying before, being third on this album is still being first because, like, what I cannot imagine, Sarah, I would ever turn down the opportunity to hear this song. It's less than three minutes long, like you said. Why wouldn't I take two minutes and 50 seconds to feel better? Yeah. And, you know, it's not that I don't give a shit about appropriation because I do. But Paul Simon appropriates really well. Like, if if you're going to do that, like, at least be good at it. Like, use it wisely. Paul Simon, I think, has really set the example for what a white artist should do when he or she is inspired by music of other cultures. Because, for instance, Paul Simon gave a check to the blues musician who inspired the phrase Bridge Over Troubled Water he worked very hard to elevate and uh, compensate the members of Ladysmith Black Mombazo who worked with him on the Graceland album. So what I hear in this song, based on everything else that Paul Simon has done in his career, is not the simple act of appropriative stealing, but more a truly engaged musician's exploration of sounds that he finds thrilling and will respect as best he can at all times. Yeah. I mean, this is a celebration of what this beat can do. And yeah. I think it honors I think it honors what it is exploring, at least. That's really more what I meant to say. Like, you know, it's yeah. just sort of taking stuff and being like, what? An issue? Yeah. But I don't think he does that. And well, because I really feel like it's sort of it would be a sad state of affairs for art if these lines were drawn so that you were the color of your skin dictated what type of music you got to make. But I think that so long as the people who are coming from the cultural place of uh, economic and social and social power, if they, of course, they we can all as human beings still be inspired by and moved by art that is made by cultures other than our own. But if you're coming from the powerful culture, you just have to acknowledge what you've done. You need to own the fact that you didn't invent this. You didn't make this up. And I just feel like if you take the Paul Simon route and you're like, hey, we're all human beings. Your music is love is exciting to me, but I'm going to make sure that I talk about that and I don't front like I'm Vanilla Ice and I invent it. I mean, he stole from white artists, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, like, you know, so long as you like you just said, hey, what? So long as you don't do that, I think you're I think you're fine. And the point being. I love Cecilia. It's not breaking my heart. Um, No. There we go. (laughs) My confidence in that song is not shaken at all. So next we've got track four, Keep the Customer Satisfied. And Sarah, for me, this is one of the discoveries of preparing this recording. I definitely had heard this song before, but somehow it didn't really dig into my spirit until we were prepping this album. Okay. Um, Shall we hear a clip first and then discuss? Yes, please. Everywhere I go, I get slandered. 
sheriff said to me. I was so, surprised at revisiting this one too. Like this is a pretty good story song lyrically, which I don't think I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mix at the end, like, you know how I love a horn in a <laughs> pop song, but <laughs> as much as I do love them, I think the construction of the song does get a little overwhelmed by them at the end. Um, I think some of the mixing choices were not the best. Um, but I also think this is a, an underrated track on this album that for me might suffer from being right after Cecilia, which has always been a joy bomb. So where did you put it? Oh, I put it right in the middle, actually, at number six. Well, so did the patrons. Look at that. Hmm. Um, Now, I agree with you about the storytelling here. I I know based on my research that he was... Paul Simon was essentially writing about himself being exhausted by being on the road, but he manages to write this song in such a way that I think anybody who's ever had to work for a living, which is most of us can relate to the fact that, God damn it, you people, why do you keep wanting things from me? You could also honestly imagine your own children as the customer. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love the wit of I've been uh, slandered, libeled. I hear words I never heard in the Bible. That's good. That's good, right? Yeah, it is. It's good. What do you think? What do you think the line I'm one step ahead of the shoe shine means? Two steps away from the county line. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know literally either, but it makes sort of an emotional sense of like my ass is just always hanging, barely hanging on is how I imagine. Like I'm just barely getting where I need to be. Yeah, I sort of always pictured this as being like the lament of the traveling salesman. And he's Mm, like mm -hmm. in a rush and has toilet paper stuck to his shoe. And it's like, okay, he's like either um, he's either late or fleeing. So in the. In the latter, I'm not sure what one step ahead of the shoe shine means, but it it just seemed like, you know, like I've got mud on my shoes, I'm all disorganized, and the straps of my sample case broke, and I just want to go home. That yep. that was the mental picture painted for me, but as to what it really means, I could not say. Right. I, I agree. But you know, that this is a good reminder that lyrics can work even when they don't make literal sense. Um, And it's interesting to remember that Paul Simon writes lyrics like that sometimes because I think he's known as being a very, he's famous for being a storyteller, which I think carries a certain sense of literalness, but he's not always literal. No, he's not. Um, Yeah. There's a, there are some funny pronunciations in here that like re-listening to this album, it had been a minute since I'd heard the whole thing. And uh, that when I'm singing along, I will do the same pronunciations. Now you're headed mm. into more like he he just has some weird uh, locutions sometimes that or uh, weird um, renderings of syllables that I feel the song is not complete unless I also sing those. <laughs> this is how long <laughs> I've lived with this album. So I have more auxiliary material for this song. Okay. Um, I really love Paul Simon's, uh, as you were saying before, earthy vocal quality on this song because it really does speak to the character of the song. This sounds like a guy who's just sort of trying to make it through life. He's maybe not the greatest singer, but his feelings are real. But then Gary Puckett of Gary Puckett in the Union Gap, who has a really great bray of a rock voice, 
also covered this song. And for me, as you were saying about Aretha Franklin before, I think that this song um, exists equally well in his showier vocal style. Uh, just takes on a slightly different character. So here's a clip of Gary Puckett's version of Keep the Customer Satisfied. And I guess when I hear his version, Sarah, I hear less of the salesman and more of the, like, the showman who just yeah. is never allowed to take off his stage makeup. Yeah, and who slept with a minister's daughter and is now tr- trying to leave the county ASAP with that <laughs> buckshot whistling past his ears. I, I may be <laughs> overthinking this, but uh, who knows? I think, the, I think the beauty of Paul Simon is that from a few brushstrokes, you can kind of fill in the rest however you want. So, yeah, totally. So, so again, that's this one? Uh, fourth, fourth place from me, eight points, sixth place from you and the patrons. All right. Well, now we're wrapping up side one with uh, so we're saying so long to side one with a song that is both, I, I feel rather tedious, but, but also. <laughs> But also extremely earwiggy. Like I've had this song stuck in my head for the last two days. Her, um, the flute. I don't know. Like it's just comparatively kind of a kind of a nothing. But yes. I always think about the construction of this album track to track, and that I appreciate that occasionally you're given a break from. Um, like filling in gaps in a story or being absolutely um, like body surfing through emotion after a rainstorm or like whatever else is going on, that there's a song like this that's sort of like a little self-satisfied and a little boring, but you could still sing the whole thing and all the flute parts and stuff like that. So we don't have a clip of this, but I'll end up singing snippets from it throughout the episode i'm sure it was number nine for me three points and again this is the song so long frank lloyd wright and i agree with you sarah my big note on this is which fondue party am i at (laughs) when i listen to these bongos and that tootly little food you you are the you are the fern (laughs) you know i got so caught up in thinking about fondue tell me what was your ranking again tell me one more time uh ninth place three points right okay um so yeah i just mm, this song to me is so clearly about the departure of art garfunkel and the shoehorning in of frank lloyd wright doesn't really make any sense it's yeah it's just a little cutesy i think well he keeps talking about frank lloyd wright's song and it's like no motherfucker you're like just because you say the word architect in that sing-songy cutesy part later architects me come and architects me go like it's just just make the song be about what it's about anyway i also find that whereas bridge over troubled water is a wonderful showcase for art garfunkel's vocal tendencies this is so breathy that it's almost like a an evaporating cloud Mm. yeah and um (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. The only reason that it's not my last place song is that it, you're busy murdering El Condor si- Pasa by the light of a full moon. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Because I've I've committed several uh, religious rituals from various religions to destroy El Condor Pasa. <laughs> um, this song is tenth place for me, however, because mm. um, it just it, it barely scrapes out of last place. Because there's some, I think, some genuine sentiment in the songwriting, but still tenth place for me. 10th place from the patrons. That's two points from both of us. Nine points from you. Uh, ninth place for you, three points. So, um, spoiler, this one's not going to be in our top three. No, I don't think so. And that's it for side one. Stay tuned for side two later this week. I met my She seems so glad to see me, I just smiled And we talked about some old times And we drank ourselves some beer Still crazy after all these years Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkandSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. Four in the morning, tapped out and yawning. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.